Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer new back in America. Soccer new back in America. Featuring person talking about soccer lots. Hello and welcome to episode 63, a Christmas edition of Soccer Noob Rock in America. But just because American professional soccer is done for the year doesn't mean in any way that we are. Just like old St. Nick, we really rock the whole world over. We've got 10 great mini previews in store from leagues from around the world. It's just a little ironic that our Christmas week edition, of course, will be covering leagues where they're actually playing, which is going to be mostly in countries where, let's just say Christmas isn't such a big deal. But hey, that means we're going to earn a lot of frequent flyer miles, and we're going to learn a whole lot this episode. Joining me, as always, is my elfin nine-year-old daughter co-host, Person Noob. Oh, hello! (laughs) And now let's dive right in with... March number one! Despite what I mentioned in the intro, we actually are going to start off in the Western Hemisphere as we head to Honduras for a Friday match, match number one. The Liga Nacional is the top flight down there. They are currently having the playoffs for their Apertura stage. A quick reminder for uh, newer burgeoning fans who might be like me, most Spanish-speaking countries in the Western Hemisphere tend to divide their soccer year into two separate tournaments or stages. Apertura, opening, clausura, closing. So they get to, you know, start restart things up in just a few weeks, even after this. And this is the second match of their two legged tie to play at home and away. By the way, this is the fourth best ranked league in CONCACAF by most folks, I believe. And they will get to send three teams to the CONCACAF League, which is a feeder tournament for the CONCACAF Champions League, the real big one. Your matchup, number one for the regular season, Real España, something of a surprise, versus Mighty Powerhouse, number three, Olympia. Leg one, Olympia got to host, and they won the game 2-0. So Real España, even at home, have a little bit of a hill to climb. In the regular season, here's how the table looked. Real España, they beat second place Vida by two and Olympia by three points. The top six teams all got to go to the league playoffs. The top two went straight to the semifinals, by the way. And as far as their head-to-head this season outside of that most recent playoff match, uh, both times that each of them got to host, the result was a 1-1 draw. Let's talk about your up. Start Real España Club first. They are known as both the Professors and the Coleman, quite a dichotomy. San Pedro Sula, that's in the northeast part of the country where they're based out of. It is the industrial capital of the country. A metro area of about one and a half million, second largest in the country. And if this name rings a bell for any other reason, oh yes, Murderer. It is the Murderer capital of the world, or at least it was uh, by population and incident until Caracas took the title back in two. 2017. Best of luck next time with your murder during San Pedro Sula. 
Anyway, back to the footy. Uh, 12 league titles, 2017 Apertura was their most recent one. Uh, pretty well-balanced team, top three offense, second-best defense, and one of, I believe, only two clubs in the country that allow fewer than one goal per match. Key player to look for in this one, tied for second-best in league scoring, Ramiro Roca. He is an Argentinian veteran, 33 years old, an attacker. And we have a USA reference, a guy I wasn't real familiar with before. Not sure he's ever been on the national team radar, but Samuel Gomez, worth mentioning. He's a midfielder for them, 25 years old. The team's current form, until they lost in the first leg of this playoff final, they were unbeaten in their last 11. And now Olympia looking to regain their glory. The Lions, also known as the Merengues. We like the second nickname better than the first. Just dump the Lions. Every other club in the world is the Lions. Merengues is much more unique. In any case, 34 league titles, almost three times as many as the Professor slash Coleman that they're coming to visit today. Uh, and they are the three-time league defending champions. Uh, they have two uh, CONCACAF Champions League titles to their credit, though they haven't won it since 1998. Excuse me, 1988. They also won the CONCACAF League title and much more recently, 2017. They have the second best offense going, one of just a couple of teams scoring over two bowl goals per match, and they have the number one defense. I'm kind of surprised they only ended up third and uh, had to get that seed and play in the first round of the playoffs, to be honest. Number one scorer, who we have talked about before on this show, 34-year-old homegrown attacker Jerry Bangston, who uh, New England Revolution fans out of MLS may recognize from 2012 through 14, he actually played up there. And this team's current form, they are 3-0-1 in their last four with an impressive 7-2 goal differential. Match number B. There is our weekly reminder that number two, yuck, that's bathroom talk. You heard her correctly. Person new, letting you know that something like match number B is the much more couth and polite way to go. And we encourage you to join us in our worldwide revolution. And speaking of worldwide, we are going to uh, start picking up some frequent flyer miles now going forward in the podcast. We're headed off to Algeria, where the top flight is called the League One. It is the number four ranked league in all of Africa. They get two Champions League group stage berths and then one Confederations Cup berth. That is their secondary international tournament in Africa, very much the equivalent of the Europa League. Here's how the table, or rather, here's your matchup first. Number B, U.S. Biskra is taking on number one CR, and I'm just going to pronounce it uh, phonetically. Apologize to anybody who knows French. Uh, Beloizdad. Beloizdad currently leading the table by one, and then Biskra in turn leads CS Constantine by two. It's fairly early in the season. As far as the recent series between these two, Beloizdad have a 3-1-2 and two advantage on the record. But we'll talk about the home team first, as always, Biskra. And by the way, they're number B in the table, but they do have a match in hand, so there's an argument to be made that this is the best team going in the league. They are known as Kadra, which I assume is Arabic, uh, and it means green. Yeah, must be one of their colors. Biskra is in the northeast part of the country, right on the edge of the Sahara Desert, kind of off by itself uh, as far as the country's metro areas go, I believe. And it's about 300,000 and change there. Uh, they just returned to Division I play in 2017. Uh, they were founded in 1934 and have actually spent the majority of their existence in uh, Division Three. So this is a yo-yo team at best. Last year, not a very good year for them. They finished only in 14th place, but oh, apparently how times have changed. They've got the number one offense at exactly two goals per match going. 
Number 11 defense, but I don't want that to be misleading. They only allow one goal per match. I gather that everything is very condensed as far as that particular statistical category. The proof, well, they're still tied for number two overall in goal differential. Number one league scorers there is a boast of Hishem Mokhtar, a homegrown forward for them. And the team's forward, uh, current form, rather, they are 2-1-0 in their last three with a 6-3 goal differential. And now your two-time defending champions, Belo Izdad, uh, from the capital city of Algiers. They are known as Shabab, which translates to youth, roughly. Uh, they have eight league titles to their credit. Again, two-time defending champions. Uh, last year was the first time they got past the group stage of the Champions League. Got to the quarterfinal before they lost to a continental power, ES Tunis. Uh, their stats, very, very similar to Biscro's. Second best offense going. Uh, the defense is number 13. But again, that I really wouldn't classify that as a bugaboo for any or anything. They've got the fourth best goal differential going. On the scoring leaderboard, a guy I've decided that I am going to just absolutely abhor. Not for real, but only because of his name. Here I go. Karadine Merzogwi. I'm not even going to spell it. It's so long. But something I could spell if you wanted me to. Uh, welcome back to Mr. Mirzagwe. He's been out of the league for a while. He was banned by the uh, African uh, Confederation of Football from 2016 through 20. How many instances of this sporting crime must he have had under his belt? He got booked for using uh, methylhexanamine which is not meth like the recreational drug meth. Don't get confused. Uh, it's a common ingredient in dietary supplements. It's supposed to be similar uh, to, uh, I think, something natural for weight loss supplement uh, that is in geraniums, but it is not. And it has been banned by a lot of sporting societies here in our own country, or at least my own country, the U.S. The FDA hasn't banned it, but I don't know how many, if any, uh, Sporting associations have banned it, and the FDA themselves, they highly recommend against using anything with it. But that said, you can still you know, go to your uh, local you know, dietary supplement store and still find it in all kinds of things. Anyway, back to the footy. Uh, let's see here. Their form, they have won three straight matches, and they are unbeaten in their last seven. Match number three. And now we head to one of the only two member nations in UEFA that are actually playing Christmas Day football. We're looking at our Saturday matches now. And Merry Christmas. One of the two leagues' uh, top flights not playing is Israel's top flight. It's a little bit odd that they're in the European Union uh, to begin with when it comes to footy, but that's obviously for political and safety purposes. The other one is the Eurasian country of Turkey. Their Super League is almost halfway through. Before I get into what I want to talk about with this match, let me start off by thanking Ege Erdogan. I'm hoping I'm getting the pronunciation right, uh, who replied online to my Twitter account, which, by the way, is Soccer Noob USA, uh, just wondering about the Turkish League and why, typically speaking, it's always such a great race every year. It seems like there's always four teams coming down to it at the very end. So we had a nice conversation, and here were some of the things he wanted to share uh, with our audience, whether it be uh, those of you who are uh, comparatively new to the sport like me, or even longer-time footy fans may just not follow Turkey quite as much as the people uh, from the country itself, where I'm, I'm guessing in Turkey I don't happen to have quite as many listeners. In any case, one of the things he shared to start off with was that the league is kind of down right now, the last year, maybe two years. Uh, it's not that tactically strong. The quality of their players overall is taking a little bit of a hit. And that's all because of the uh, the 
the downing in value of the lira, I remember just maybe a month ago, it dipped 15 or 20% in one day. It's been bouncing around a lot, but typically going down. So they have become much more of a selling league than they are previously, kind of like Major League Soccer. You try to develop players as a club and then sell them on, trying to uh, make a profit off those players and getting them into the strongest of leagues. Now, as far as the league itself, normally there are three big teams, and uh, we won't get into them. They are the ones that have the uh, the most money, quite frankly. They get the best part of the TV deal. I thought that maybe there were three or four teams in it every year because maybe there was some manufactured parity going on, like is done in MLS, which I think they're trying to model that very much on uh, the National Football League, get that manufactured parity going so that you know, all the fan bases in all the cities have a really, really accentuated reason to watch. But it turns out that's not the case. It's kind of like the English Premier League. There are just a few teams that have a lot more money than the others, and they always happen to be the same ones. And I just hadn't been noticing because I spend so much time following every league in the world. Now, the fourth big team outside of those three is Trabzonspor. If one of those top three is in form, one of those top three is typically going to win it, uh, my new friend says. But Trabzonspor would be the least of the anomalies outside of the Istanbul teams. He says that uh, this is sort of the uh, fourth biggest team, if you will, in the league. And they are leading, actually. The match that we're going to talk about is number one, Trabzonspor. And they are taking on one of the Istanbul teams, which are the only other teams that typically vie for the title. And uh, that team is Istanbul Bashakshahir. And so here's how the table looks right now. Oh, wait, actually, I wanted to say something about uh, IB first that he shared with me, which I thought was really cool. Uh, it's a comparatively newer club. They were founded, I believe, in 1990. And the name that they had at the time basically translated to Istanbul Municipal Sports Team. Um, but then uh, some years later, they changed to their current name, Istanbul Bashak Shahir. And now they uh, are for a long time. They then had the actual support of the government per what the previous you know name had essentially indicated. But that hasn't been the case so much the last, oh, I want to say four years it's been since President Erdogan fell out of power. Uh, he's a, the president from the conservative party, and then the country was having a, and still is having a, a lot of comparative economic trouble. So he fell out of favor with the public, and uh, now there's a different party in power, and uh, apparently they're not just getting as much government support now. So in any case, let's look at the matchup. I said these were number one and number three, respectively. The table. Trabzonspor lead Kanya Spore by nine. So unless uh, a bunch of teams catch up or more likely maybe Trabzonspor falls back, it's not going to be uh, quite the close race with a lot of contestants as it normally seems to be. And then four more points back are Istanbul, Bashak Shahir. Uh, the top two teams from this league, by the way, are the only ones that get to go to the Champions League. And if you're interested in watching this Christmas Day, Be In Sports is the channel that you can watch it on here stateside if your satellite package or cable package runs deep enough. And that's going to be on at uh, 11 a.m. Eastern Time here in the U.S. Now, since I've already said quite a bit... Um, this is the point in the podcast, usually match number three, where we learn a little bit less about the individual clubs and we learn how we want to gamble. This is where we lean on our in-house prognosticator, 3,500-year-old Noob Stradamus. He's going to hopefully be telling us which of these two teams to bet on and why through his usual lotus leaf-induced vision. Take it away, almighty soothsayer. Greetings from the merciless Thracian plains of Greece. 
No drug-addled vision for you today, I'm afraid. It's the holiday season, and I've decided to take the latitude to offer up something else helpful to the listenership. Everywhere I go, I am naturally greeted with high praise for my holy abilities, and free shelter, food, Noob, after 3,500 years wandering the lands as a mighty oracle, I've realized I never learned to cook more than I might need for walking the earth between inhabited places. So now, I shall feast on mine own cooked whole turkey. It smells glorious, but I must confess, it was not easy. I wasted several birds before deciding I needed to call the Butterball Hotline for advice. The operator and I had a lengthy conversation, and I learned myriad tips and tricks for cooking turkey deliciously. And so, I will read you a transcript of my call. Hello, Butterball Hotline, how may I help you? That's the operator. It is I, Noobstradamus phoning you from the merciless Thracian plains of Greece. Is this a joke? Sir, we have serious callers with real turkey problems. My name is Holy and will not be besmirched, heathen. I mean, sorry, um, I'm real. And I, I have turkey problems. Greece? Well, I guess turkey's popular everywhere. Let's start by finding out what size bird you bought. This is not at all what I thought we were going to be getting. But I don't want to hurt Noobstradamus' feelings here around the holidays. Or at all, really. He might turn me into a newt or something. He's threatened before. I'm just going to leave him potted down and he can do his thing. This way, we can actually move the show on with... Match number four! Another Christmas Day match takes us to Nepal for a match in the Martyrs A division, which is one of two code number one leagues in the country. Collectively, they are the number 36 country in the AFC for their top flight leagues. By the way, the other league is called the Super League. It is brand new. They've only played one season which might have been two seasons ago because of COVID. But in any case, they're uh, fully professional, which Nepal has never had before. And they're more franchise-based, like Major League Soccer. But we're going to be talking about Martyrs A, out of which the champion will get to go to the AFC Cup, which is a secondary tournament in Asia. And it's kind of like the Europa League, but kind of not. The champions of a lot of the smaller countries or poorer nations or nations that might be big, but where football just isn't as popular a sport as some other ones, get to go. And that champion on Nepal will have to start all the way back in the first preliminary qualifying round. There are about five matches into the season, and yet that puts it at almost halfway through. It's a fairly short season there. Your matchup is number one, Manang Marshyengdi, taking on number two. I'm going to pronounce it Mashindra, but it's got two H's, so I don't know if it really shares a pronunciation uh, with the uh, the the tool or equipment company that I'm only vaguely familiar with from somewhere in the world. In any case, Marshyengdi currently leading the table by two, and these two teams are two of undefeated two of four undefeated teams in the league, at least at the time that I scouted it. We'll talk about the hosts first, Manang Marshangdi. They play out of the country of Pokhara. 
most important thing to know is this is one of Noob's favorite teams in the whole world. It's one of the guys who really helped get me going on world football, although he's a bigger cricket fan, oddly enough, is a guy I used to work with from Nepal named Manny, and he was from the area where Manang Marshangdi played, and so was a big fan, and thusly so am I. So we will cheer for them. Pokhara, that's where they're from, city-wise, and it is the second biggest city in the country, about a half a million people. Uh, give you some geographical perspective, it's 120 miles west of Kathmandu, the capital. Pokhara is sort of the tourism unofficial capital because it sits right at the base of the Annapurna mountain range. I want to say something like three or seven of the, the ten biggest, Him, uh, highest Himalayan uh, peaks are right there in Annapurna, so you get a lot of mountain climbers in this area. It is also home for the training of a group called the Gurkha Soldiers, which this is kind of interesting. They're sort of like quasi-mercenaries. I don't think that they're part of the Nepalese army or uh, proper. Uh, so this group that fights alongside other groups somehow have been okayed under the Geneva Convention because mercenaries in a general sense are not allowed in the rules of war by the Geneva or any other conventions. This is one of the few that's still legal somehow. In any case, you can go down that uh, rabbit trail on Wikipedia or wherever on your own. Uh, the team, by the way, is named for the Manang District, which is where the founders are from. That's not actually where they play. Footy-wise, eight league titles to their credit, most recently 2018-2019 season. They've made one AFC Cup appearance, and that was the next year in 2019, of course, and they did make it all the way to the group stage. Good on them. This year so far, top offense, top three defense, tied for number one overall goal differential. And uh, the goalkeeper is uh, really actually one of their individually best players, Bishal Sunar. He's already got three clean sheets just five matches into the season. As far as the team's form, they have won two in a row. And now Mashindra, I believe, take it with a grain of salt, that they play out of a neighborhood in Kathmandu called Keltol. I'm sure they're in Kathmandu, not 100% on the district or neighborhood name. In any case, they're the defending champs, having hoisted the trophy in 2019 2020. Ah, and yes, here's what I, I forgot. I put this in my notes. They did not have a 2020 2021 season, hence the reason that they are still the defending champs. However, they did not get to go to the AFC Cup as they were not granted an AFC license. I don't know how if that has to do with the size of the grounds or how safe they are or how many it can see, but whatever is involved, they didn't get to go, sadly. This year, they're in a good position to uh, potentially get to go again. Top two offense, tied for number one defense in the league. They've only allowed one goal, and that uh, puts them at tied for number one overall in goal differential. Key players to look for in this one, tied for number one in league scoring is Sunil Ball, right midfielder, just 23 years old, 17 national caps. And then tied for number one in clean sheets in the league, goalkeeper Bishal Shrethsa. And yes, I did have to pronounce saying that several times. He also played last season. There's going to be a fair amount of crossover, which is really interesting for Boutoual Lumbini FC in the Nepalese Super League that I mentioned just a minute or so ago. He's also got one national team cap since uh, joining the national team training uh, squad, if you will. But he's been with them for 10 years and only gotten to make one appearance. As far as their current form, they are coming off a nil-nil draw at number four, Sankata. Match number five. And now we flip the calendar forward to Sunday for a semifinal match in Guatemala's Liga Nacional. They're in their Apertura stage, getting nearer to the end of the playoffs. We're going to talk about a semifinal match, which is the second match of a two-legged tie. By the way, the Liga Nacional in Guatemala is the number nine rated uh, league by most standards in CONCACAF, but still they get three 
CONCACAF League berths. There are 12 teams in this league, and the top eight all made the playoffs. Your matchup is number one from the regular season, Antigua GFC versus number four, Malaka Teco. Malaka Teco, one leg, one, two to nil. So, just like before, a little bit of a hill to climb for the home team this time. Now, Antigua won the regular season title. As I mentioned, they did so over Comunicaciones, a very good team by two points, and they were actually uh, 10 points ahead of Malacateco. So it's really something uh, that the visitors are where they are. They played twice in the regular season, and both times the result was a 1-1 draw. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about Antigua's first. A number of nicknames. They are known as the Colonials, the Green Bellies, and the Avocado Eaters. Now, the Green Bellies caught my eye because – I can't remember where for sure, but there's another team somewhere in Central America. They're called the Green Bellies. And I remember that for them, it's because leatherworking was something of a staple uh, industry. And uh, at least in uh, less modern times, perhaps people who had been dealing with leather for a long time, like most of their professional lives, would get a green tint to their skin. But Antigua, they're just the green bellies because they eat a lot of avocados there. They're easy to grow in that region. Anyway, they play out of a town that is called Antigua. It is in the south-central highlands of the country, has maybe 50,000 people. Uh, Because of the incredibly well-preserved Spanish Baroque architecture there, the entirety of the town is listed as uh, a UNESCO heritage site. It's also a very uh, popular tourist destination and with American expats. There's a big retirement community of those there. Uh, This is something of a yo-yo team. They went down as recently again as 2011 to the second division, but then three years later, they bought the rights to play in the top league in some countries. You can do that from a team called Heredia Jaguares that allowed them access to division one again. And then they turned right around and won the 2015 Apertura title. Go figure. They have won four league titles historically. Uh, the 2019 Apertura is the most recent one. Uh, one time they went to the CONCACAF Champions League in 2016-17 and made the group stage. Twice they've been to the CONCACAF League. 2020 they mounted, made the round of 16. That was their best finish in that one. Uh, let's see. Most recently in league play, the 2020-2021 Clausura. The league at that time was divided into two groups, and they finished in sixth place. They were probably one of the two worst teams in the entire league at that point. This year, tied for number two on offense, getting over one and a half goals per game. Tied for, or not tied, they were number one on defense all by themselves, allowing just over a goal on average every other match, and that's good for the top goal differential in the league. Number four scorer player to look for, Pedro Baez. We have a U.S. connection here. He's from Paraguay, an attacker, just 24 years old. And yet as a, a very youngster, if you will, he made a few appearances with RSL, Real Salt Lake, back in 2016. The team's current form, they had won two straight matches before losing the first leg of this two-legged tie. And now Malacateco, they're known as Los Toros. Uh, Founded in 1959, it took them 45 years to make the top flight. Got to have a lot of patience. They've been back down since then. More recently, they've been back up since uh, 2011, if memory serves. They play in a town similarly named to the club, Malacatan, which is right on the border with just a little slice of Mexico that trails that far down along the west. Uh, There's a very famous village there that could be familiar to you called El Carmen, very famous border crossing point. Not only that, but uh, until probably the late 20th century, it was one of the hottest drug trafficking spots in the Americas. A big name that's uh, associated with that area is 
uh, Juan Camale Ortiz. He was uh, allegedly, quote unquote, a top transporter for the Sinaloa cartel that operated very much in that area. As far as the footy, uh, tied for number two on offense, the defense is just a little bit better than the average for the league. Not quite a bugaboo per se, but it's not their best. And they've only got the fourth best goal differential. Uh, the number one league scorer by a lot, the key man that their opponents want to shut down if they can, is Eduardo Rotundi. He's got 15 goals on the season, getting about one per game, Argentinian midfielder. As far as the team's current form, they have won two straight matches. I don't think that you can call them uh, the favorites, even with a 2-0 lead, but that is not insubstantial. Terrifying, murderous horde of kittens. What do they want, person noob? They probably want you to do a recap of the matches of last week. Oh, well, I guess if that keeps them from killing us with their tiny little kitten paws, that we should do that. Fair enough. Match number one is from Liga Puerto Rico. It was a Saturday match between number one Metropolitan and number three Bayamon at Liga Puerto Rico, and the result was a Bayamon win, one to two. Match number B, another Saturday match, was the championship of the FIFA Arab Cup. Number B, Tunisia took on number three, Algeria, and it was Algeria coming out on top, nil to two. This game was uh, presumably boring for a long time because the goals came in the 99th and 125th minutes. Sunday brought us match number three from Italy's Serie A. Number B, Milan, took on number four, Napoli, and it was Napoli winning nil one. Our in-house prognosticator, Noob Stradamus, he got it close. He said that Milan was going to win 4-2. to two. Here's to hoping that you could not gamble based on what he said. Match number four from Netherlands, Era DVC. Number three, Feyenoord took on number B, Ajax. And it was Ajax coming out on top, nil two. Possible man of the match we said to look for, Dusan Tadic had a goal. None of this led to any change in table positions, though. Match number five from the Premier League in Taiwan was number B, Thai Power, taking on number one, Tainan City. And the result was a Tainan City nil one win. And congratulations to them. That gives them the title there in uh, Chinese Taipei or Taiwan, whichever you prefer. We don't play politics. Match number six was a group of matches of uh, important or interesting FA Cup matches from around the world. The first one that we glanced at was from France's round of 64, the Coupe de France, where Bordeaux from League One got to take on Jumo uh, from the island of Mayotte, a French territory near Madagascar, and the result was as nightmarish as you might have thought. Bordeaux won 10 to nil. Ouch. And then the Scottish League Cup final, the tertiary uh, tournament trophy there was Hibernians and Celtic, and Celtic came out on top 1-2. to two. And then from Japan's Emperor's Cup, the FA Cup there, was a final, and it was Urawa Red Diamonds, our favorite, coming out on top over Oita Trinidad 2-1. Then from Kuwait's Amir Cup final, essentially another FA Cup, Kuwait SC and Al Qadzia did battle, and it was uh, Kuwait SC coming out on top 1-0. I don't know if you can hear the meowing that's going on in the background, but apparently one of the kittens is not happy with how the recap is going so far. Either that or there's a bug in the light fixture that he's going after. Match number seven from Grenada's Premier League out there in the Caribbean was number one Paradise and number B Hurricanes, and there was no result because there was no match. It got postponed. Match number eight from Nicaragua's Liga Primera Apertura. Number one, Real Esteli versus number B, Dirian Hen. 
and the result was a nil-nil draw. This was the playoffs, and so uh, the second match of a two-legged tie. Therefore, Dirion Hen are your champions because they won the first match one to nil. Congratulations to them on the trophy and the title. Match number nine from Andorra's Primera Divisio. Number one, Interclube de Espaldes. Number B, UE Santa Coloma. The result was a 2-2 draw. That actually dropped UE Santa Coloma down to number three. And then on Monday, from Bulgaria, match number 10, the first pro league. We had number B, CSKA Sofia taking on number one, Ludogorets Razgrad, and the result was a uh, win for the Sofia side, one to nil. That doesn't lead to any change in the table, but they are now only down two to Razgrad. Then our bonus matches with explanations coming later. First, our out of the week was a Friday match from Italy's Serie A. Number 20, last place, Salernitana took on number one, Inter, and it went just as you might have thought. Uh, we usually pick uh, nil four or four nil on this show but Inter did a little bit better they won nil five and then the most meaningless match in the world a Sunday match from the Czech Republic the first league was number 10 Sigma Olomok or Olomoc taking on number 11 Fastov's lean and it was a 1-1 draw as is always appropriate for the most meaningless match in the world fun fact a guy that we pointed out is the most average or meaningless uh, player for one of the teams Antonin Rushik actually did a goal good job on being a little bit more than perfectly meaningless and then finally your matchup disappointed was from China's Super League last two last place two teams number 15 Tianjin Jinmen Tiger took on number 16 Qingdao FC and it was a surprising win for the last place side on the road Qingdao got the win one to two they're still in last place though and that concludes your matchup or your recap rather of last week's matches now let's dive back into the current week's tracking with Match number six. Another Sunday match, and for this one, we're going to pay a visit to the A-League men of Australia's top flight. Yes, that is the name of the league now, A-League men instead of just the A-League. Uh, the women's top flight was known as the women's A-League. They now use the gender identifier uh, for, for both for appearances uh, so that they appear equal, which they are. Uh, this is the number 23 ranked league in the AFC. That's a big downslide from them. That's down seven notches from a year ago. Back when I first started following football, uh, they were probably almost in the top 10. Right now, that puts them between uh, uh, big jumpers from last year, Kuwait, and fellow down sliders, Singapore. They still get uh, to send their champion to the Champions League, but only one. Their second place team will get to go to the AFC Cup group stage. Also, fun side note about this league, in most countries – uh, the FA Cup, all the teams from the top flight, usually the second, third, or fourth, depending on how far the uh, the country's FA, how far down they want to invite teams, all the teams from most leagues will get to participate. Not so in Australia. Give some added uh, added incentive to play well for teams that are closer to the bottom of the table. It's a 12-team league, and only the top eight get to play in the following year's FFA Cup. Interesting. In any case, the matchup we're going to look at is a league matchup between number three, Melbourne Victory, and number B, Western United. Here's how the table looks. MacArthur FC have 13 points, Western United have 12, and Melbourne Victory have 10. Uh, the recent series between these two, Western United have the best of it with a 4-1-2 and two lead on the record. Melbourne Victory, we'll talk about them first. They were founded in 2004. That is the same year that uh, the Australian uh, football structure was revamped so that the A-League basically was on top. This is the most supported club in the entire country and the second most successful in the country. It's so popular because it was the only club at the time in the entire state of Victoria, and so they get their uh, – 
but, but they still get the biggest support from the heart of actual Melbourne. Historically, they've got four league titles. 2014-15 was the most recent one. 2019-2020 uh, season, they made the round of 16 in the AFC Champions League, tied for the best they've ever done. Last year in the league, last place, 12th. Not a good look for a team that's so popular. This year, looking far better. The offense is where they've really been shining. Second best in the league. Uh, defense, to be honest, is just barely above average, maybe. On the scoring leaderboard, key possible man of the match, Nicholas uh, D'Augustino, he's a striker, just 23 years old. Look for him in international play, potentially in the future, with Malta when you see their national teams playing. He's got Maltese grandparents, and I'm not sure he's on the radar for the Australian national team, but with his grandparents being from there, he is eligible, and they are very interested in keeping tabs on him. Also on the scoring leaderboard is Francesco Margiotta. I think it's a hard G since there's only one in the name. Italian forward. Uh, Juve fans might recognize his name. He didn't make any appearances for them, but Juve did have the rights from him from 2012 through 18. It's a long time, but they always loaned him out. Uh, more recently, he uh, played with teams uh, Chievo Verona, which I think is in the second level of Italian football right now, but they've been A-leaguers before. And uh, also Lucerne and uh, Lausanne, which are sort of yo-yo teams uh, with, with between the top two divisions in Switzerland. As far as the team's current form, they are 1-1 and one in their last three. And now Western United. They are also from the Melbourne area, from a suburb in the West called Truganina. They were founded just three years ago. And for a specific purpose, uh, the club exists to uh, sort of merge or slash create a fan base uh, for people on the Western outskirts of Melbourne and uh, to including uh, possible fan base from some of the regional towns to the West in Victoria. Uh, therefore, they play some of their matches in a couple of different regional towns, at least Geelong or Geelong, can't remember the pronunciation, and Ballarat. Uh, last year, they finished in 10th place. This year, they are parking the bus. They've only scored four times, but in turn, they've only given up one goal. That's been good for second overall goal differential. I think it's hard to win a title that way, but who knows? They might be able to stay in the top two or three. Uh, key man to match course then is going to be their goalkeeper, Jamie Young. Uh, he's Australian born, but technically reps internationally uh, for England. I, I don't think he'll ever get a call up. He's 36 years old, but he did rep for some of their youth level teams. So he spent the last seven years with a A-League team that isn't all that great, uh, Brisbane, uh, Brisbane Roar. Uh, give you some perspective on how this compares to some of the leagues in England. He's played for some teams that were not Premier League, but better than this. But the second longest of his career, other than Brisbane there in Australia, was with Aldershot Town. He played for them from 2010 through 2013. That is a level five club, the lowest level in England in the pyramid, I believe, that is still considered fully professional and national in scope. He actually started his senior career with uh, Reading, which is a championship level team, but only made one uh, senior team appearance for them. Best all-around player they've got, in my opinion, is Joshua Ridson, defender. A defender, rather, he's a right back, and even though he's only like five foot nine, very physical. I love watching guys like this. He's got a seventy percent tackle rate, so he loves to mix it up. And as far as the team's form, they have won two straight matches. Match number seven. And since we just mentioned them, let's pay a visit to Kuwait's Premier League. So they're ranked, once again, just ahead of Australia, number 22 in the AFC, up 11 from a year ago. And that's important to recall because uh, unlike Australia, they get to send a team to the Champions League this year. Uh, that's based on where they were the year before. 
So since they just jumped up 11, weren't as high last year, Kuwait's Premier League, only the champion goes anywhere, and they'll only be going to the AFC Cup group stage. That will, of course, change next year. They'll get a greater a greater share of the international spoils, as it were. Uh, your matchup, number one, Kazma versus number B, Kuwait SC. Kazma leading the table by one. Uh, meanwhile, Kuwait City are actually tied on points with Al-Qadzia, so they're ahead on goal differential. As always, we'll talk about the hosts first. Cosma, they are out of, I'm going to pronounce it Adia. It's got the double I in the middle. It might be Adaya, Kuwait City. It is a part of the city that has about 20,000 inhabitants. Uh, this area is also home to Kuwait's National Football Association. Uh, in 2010 and 2012, both, both those seasons, they made the AFC Cup. And in 2010, they had a pretty good time. They went all the way to the quarterfinals. They did make the Champions League uh, a few times back in the 20th century, back before it was even called the Champions League, and they never did any better than the group stage. Historically, four league titles to their credit. Most recent one was 1996. Last year, they finished in fourth place. This year, the defense is sure looking like it could carry them to a title. They've only allowed two goals so far, but the defense is only tied for number five, very average. Number one league score where they are getting their goals, and it's moderately early in the season, is from Shabab Al-Khaldi. He is a midfielder, so they like to operate a little bit outside the box and push their way in. Team's current form, they are 4-1-1 one, and one in their last six. And now Kuwait FC. Uh, SC, rather. They play out of Kaifan, which is also part of Kuwait City. Another area, maybe a little bit smaller, might be about 20,000. So the east central uh, part of the country, it's a port city and therefore very prestigious. So if, you like, uh, if you're like, if you a fan of uh, working class blue collar teams, this is not the team for you. This is the New York Yankees of sorts. They are known as the Brigadiers. Uh, one of the club nicknames is also Al-Amid, meaning oldest in the nation. They have won 16 league titles, probably because of all that money. 2019-2020 was the most recent one. They won the AFC Cup three different times between uh, 2009 and 2013. They also made two group stage Champions League appearances in the mid-2000s. Uh, 2021, this year, they lost to Al Muharraq in of Bahrain in the semifinals of the AFC Cup. Last year in league play, they finished in third place. This year, looking like they're really serious about the title. Number one offense, getting exactly two goals per game. Uh, second best defense, number one overall goal differential. Tied for number four in league scoring, man to look for, Ahmad Zanke, midfielder. It'll be interesting to see if they hold on to him. I didn't happen to notice any rumors as far as transfers when I went looking, but uh, some of these Asian leagues, depending on what you're looking at financially, they do tend to sell their players on. Since this club already has a fair amount of money, I'm hoping that they won't. In any case, as far as the team's current form, they have won two straight. Match number eight. Another Sunday match, and this time we're headed back to Africa for the Libyan Premier League. And number one versus two, it's number B, Olympic Azawea versus number one, Oswali. Now, these are not the two best teams in the country, actually. The top league this year, at least, is dividing into two groups. And this is the number B and number one from the weaker of the two divisions as things look right now. So since we're near the end of the podcast, we will use this as our traditional time to instead of talking about specifics of the match, talk a little culture, or as usually is the case with your old buddy noob, cooking. And uh, if you have a particularly weak stomach, you may not want to think about this one and just go ahead and fast forward on to whatever app you're using to match number nine, because we're going to be talking about something called Usban, which is basically... 
uh, Libyan haggis, if you will. Uh, you're going to be making mashzi, which is stuffing for the lamb's intestines, if you're traditional. Or you can use something called kersha, which is basically tripe from the lamb. Get that stomach lining involved. And by the way, uh, we're going to try to keep a focus on some of the ways they prepare it in Western Libya, which is where Azawaya is. And Azawaya in Western Libya, uh, they tend to focus, uh, the cuisine tends to focus more around pastas, where in the eastern part of the country it tends to be more rice-oriented. In any case, here are some of the things you're going to want. You're going to want both a traditional onion and a bunch of green onions, uh, chopped parsley, Coriander leaves, yes, but if you really want to be a Western traditionalist, use something that they call shabit, which is basically the herb dill. Uh, in Tripoli and other parts of Western Libya, they tend to use that. You might also follow it, uh, find it under the name habuk, I believe. The coriander is more popular in the East. Uh, you'll need a chopped tomato. You're going to want a green chopped hot chili pepper, a pound of liver, uh, a lamb's heart, a quarter pound to a half pound of just good quality lamb. Uh, Egyptian rice, I know that's more Eastern, but you can still use that for this, just for the base. Uh, you'll want some uh, ground red pepper, some uh, a tablespoon of baharat, which is real similar, I think, uh, to turmeric. This is a very spicy dish. You'll also want salt, dried mint, uh, and uh, fresh mint as well. You want to make sure it's fresh. Olive oil, and then you can stuff your own. And if you do, you want to cut these into about one foot pieces. But I recommend, because apparently you can get it various places, pre-clean mousserine or kersha. You can get the uh, tubular uh, tripe that you're going to stuff. You know, Basically, your sausage casings, your mousserine, you can get those uh, pre-cleaned and pre-prepared. So what do we do from here? You're going to chop or mince everything up. You can find your own recipe as far as how small everything needs to be. But the trick is whether you're using balls or just going to use more of a mashed looking stuffing, you don't want to overstuff because otherwise uh, things are going to fall apart. When you cook it, you're going to want them to split, but you don't want them to come apart completely. So you never want to overstuff your intestines. Good advice. Uh, after stuffing, you're going to boil this osmon for about an hour in lots of water, and this is where you're going to add the salt and the turmeric because uh, you want that broth to be spicy as well. Then remove the liquid to finish off uh, your dish in the oven. You want to put it on a grill or a light browning setting, and then you can use the liquid maybe to boil some additional rice if you want to have that on the side. And that is how you're going to make Libyan haggis. Again, you can find your own recipes online. I hope I didn't gross too many people out. But it's one of my favorite uh, things in the show, to use learning soccer as sort of an excuse to learn things about the world in general. Match number nine. And if you're not used to consuming that type of food, you might be really thankful for having Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off. Well, at least for your tracking, our last two matches that we're going to look at of our official 10 that we track, yes, we will still have our super cool three bonus matches, are Thursday matches. Match number nine, we're headed back to Europe. We're a little bit further away from uh, Christmas and Boxing Day, and so we can get back to the Western European action. Portugal, the Premier League there, is or Primeira Liga, rather, is rated number six in all of UEFA. As such, they get two Champions League group stage berths. A third team gets into the Champions League as well, though they have to start two rounds back in the third qualifying round. And then they also send two teams to the Europa Conference League. They're about halfway through the season, just like most of the teams in, or uh, leagues, rather, in all of Western Europe. The teams facing off we're going to look at, number one, FC Porto, taking on number three, Benfica. You can catch this at 4 o'clock Eastern time at the U.S. on Goal TV. 
Uh, as far as the recent series, FC Porto have dominated. They have gotten results in 26 of the 33 times they faced off, 17-9-7 record. Here's how the table looks. It's all your traditional big three. Uh, Porto, 41 points, tied with Sporting CP. And then Benfica are just four back at four. And then Braga, usually the fourth best team, and that's the case now. They're the only one that typically uh, breaks into that top three periodically, and they're way back at 28 points. Porto, they are the Dragons, and they play out of the city of the same name, second biggest in the country. City proper's only got maybe a little less than a quarter million, but the greater metro is more like one and three quarters million. It's on the northeast coast of the country. And this is one of two undefeated teams remaining in the league. They're also the number 16 UEFA-ranked club, which put puts them near a couple of clubs that you might be more familiar with, depending on what countries you follow. Uh, Ajax, and of course Tottenham in the much more familiar Premier League for a lot of us. Uh, they are the second best team historically in the country as far as both domestic and international trophies. They've won the Premier League 29 times, most recently two years ago. They've also won the Champions League twice, uh, most recently 2003-2004. They're about to take on Lazio in the Europa League round of 16. Last year, they finished in second place in the league. This year, hard to believe that two and a half goals per match is only good for the second best offense. And then as far as the defense, also only second best, but they only allow a goal every other match exactly on average. Good for the second best overall goal differential. Again, this league is very top heavy. Uh, key players you're going to look for. Tied for number one in league scoring is Luis Diaz, Colombian. I believe he plays striker. Take that with a grain of salt. 24 years old. 31 national team caps to his credit, even at his young age. I've seen rumors for him related to Chelsea, but I've seen a lot more stuff related to Liverpool. I think he'll be there within the next uh, 18 months. Uh, second best in assists in the league is the singularly named Otavio, attacking midfielder. He is Brazilian-born, but he does rep for Portugal internationally. Second best on clean sheets, goalkeeper Diogo Costa, just 22 years old, Swiss-born, but he too actually reps for Portugal. Teams form, they have won four straight wins with a more than impressive uh, 9-0 goal differential. And then Benfica, your most decorated club in the nation. They are the Eagles, and they are particularly popular, not only nationwide, but specifically with the working class. And the working class there must be very, very large because more than any other club in UEFA, Benfica has the largest percentage of their national fan base, nearly 50%. Just incredible. Of course, Everybody loves a winner, and they've done a lot of it. 37 league titles to their credit, most recently 2018-19. They won the Champions League twice, but you've got to go all the way back to the 1960s for those trophies. Uh, the last 10 years, I was taking a look at their international record. They made the quarterfinals twice for the Champions League. 2015-16 uh, was the most recent time, and they're still in the Champions League now and about about to face Ajax out of the Netherlands in the round of 16. That should be an amazing matchup. Last year, they finished in third place in the league. This year, number one offense at over three goals per game. Defense is just third best, but they've got the number one overall goal differential. Tied for number one in league scoring is Darwin Nuez, their superstar 22-year-old striker from Uruguay. Uh, he signed just last year for 20 million pounds as a transfer fee. Can't remember where he came from, but it was the biggest move financially in the entire history of the Portuguese top league. He's got uh, six national team caps, and he is so fun to watch. Because I'm used to seeing strikers here in the U.S., like, you know, Daryl DK for Orlando City. I'm used to seeing big guys who could take up and really control space. This is a speed guy all the way. 
Benfica likes to play the counterattack, and he can get separation uh, just about more quickly than any other player I've ever watched. Uh, tied for number one in league assists is also Rafa Silva, attacking midfielder. 25 national team caps for him. Uh, as far as the team's current form, they had won four straight across all competitions until a recent FA Cup loss. And guess who that was to? They lost at Porto, nil three. Will it be telling? And match number 10, we're done. Finally! Sure, person, noob, finally. But we've got to head back to Africa one more time. We've got a matchup between two teams that do not like each other in Egypt. The Premier League there is ranked as the second best league in all of Africa. As such, they get two Champions League berths, one con- one Confederations Cup berth as well. Your matchup, number one, Al Ali versus number B, Pyramids FC. As far as the series, it's not a long one because Pyramids FC is a fairly new team. 4-4-3 four, four, and three is their record, so uh, Al-Ali have had just a touch of an advantage. Here's how the table looks right now. Al-Ali have 18, Pyramids have 16, and so does Zamalek. Uh, but they've both got a match in hand on Zamalek, and these are uh, definitely going to be your top three teams here near the end. That tends to typically be the case in recent history. They don't need tons of introduction, but we'll still give them a bit of one. Al-Ali, they are known as the Red Devils or the Red Giant or the Red Castle. You could probably go with read anything and be just fine. I think we'll call them the red person noobs for no particular reason. Uh, the word uh, al-alien means, uh, from what I most recently read, uh, the national uh, in Arabic, which is confusing to me because I thought I'd read somewhere before that it meant family. Might not, you know, who knows, maybe it's not a, a, a direct translation and maybe there's elements of both. In any case, they play out of the capital city, Cairo. They are the number one ranked club in all of Africa, both this century and for last century. 42 league titles to their credit, including an unbroken string of trophies from 2013 through 20. They've also got 10 Champions League titles to their credits. They've won it the last two years, too. Last year, though, they finished in second place. Not happy about it, I'm sure. This year, certainly playing like they're not happy about it. They are 6-0-0, unblemished. Number one offense at three goals per match. Also a top four defense, tied for number one overall in goal differential. Key players to look for. Number three in scoring in the league is Ali Malul out of Tunisia. He's a left back. I like seeing those defensive guys get in on the offense. A box-to-box player. 32 years old. Still has some legs under him, it seems. 2009 through 16, he played for one of the best clubs in his home country of Tunisia, Safaxian, and then he's been here ever since. Number one in league assists is Mohamed Magdi. He's a 25-year-old attacking midfielder. Not looking like he's going to make a move imminently, but last year it looked like he might have been headed towards uh, playing for Celtic in Scotland. Pyramids FC. They were founded just three years ago. And I want you to take what, a little bit of history I know about it. I used to work with a guy not only out of Nepal, like I said earlier, but I played with a guy uh, who was actually the second best, I believe, a Taekwondo guy in the world for a couple of years a while back. Anyway, he, is, uh, from, he was from Cairo and told me a little bit about Pyramids. Pyramids FC is basically an offshoot of Al-Ali. A falling out of some kind happened, I guess, between some of their management. They took a bunch of players. They've got some money. And they're really trying to market themselves more internationally. Instead of going with a traditional Arabic-style name, going with Pyramids FC, they're certainly you know, trying to uh, uh, look a lot more what some people there would uh, say would be uh, sterile or maybe plastic, if you will. In any case, last year they finished in third place. Uh, let's see, in 2019-2020, uh, they made the uh, Confederations Cup. 
and they uh, were the runners-up, in fact. And they're playing in that again right now, and they're waiting to see who they're going to play in their round of 16 matchups. So they've gotten to the knockout stage. They are 5-1-0 and this year. Uh, they're not the only two undefeated teams, but the other one is not Zamalek, oddly enough. It's a club called Al-Masri that's down in uh, distant fourth place. They are 3-4-0, and oh, so getting a lot of draws instead of losses. Don't expect them to be in the title race. In any case, this team, second-best offense at two-and-a-half goals per match. Number one defense, they've only allowed in four, and that's good for the second-best overall goal differential. Uh, key man in the match possibilities, top-10 league scorer Ibrahim Adel. He's a 20-year-old winger with a national team cap under his belt already. I was a little surprised to not find immediately any transfer rumors regarding a guy that young, usually the year European clubs will make moves on guys like that. Tied for number two. Whoops. Oh, I nearly made it through the whole regular part of the broadcast without doing that. Number B. <laughs> league assists. Mohamed Hamdi, another left back, got another defensive guy getting in on the offense. Uh, he came up with Al Ailey, another one of those crossovers that the fans are really going to hate there at uh, Cairo Stadium. Uh, but he didn't make a lot of senior team appearances for them, uh, in fairness. Bring forth the bonus matches. Yes, perhaps my favorite part of the show. And why? Because you, the listener, have a chance to help decide what the content is going to be. The three bonus matches are each unique in their own way and very, very different from the matches that we have earlier in the podcast. We use different criteria to pick those. Just what do we mean? You'll find out momentarily. For example, our first match is a first versus last place matchup in some league in the world that we like to call the... Route. Route. Route, route, of, 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 the week, 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 week. And the one that you have selected is a Tuesday match from the African nation of Benin. Their Premier League is ranked 26, so just about average in Africa. Uh, That's up one from a year ago. Still, they only get one Champions League berth and then one team that will get to go to that secondary competition, the Confederations Cup. Now get this. Eight teams are going to be relegated. That's the entire league for some small European countries' leagues. How is that? Well, this is one of my favorite leagues sometimes because of just how darn many teams there are to keep track of. Get a load of this. The first phase of the league season, they have four groups of nine teams each. That's getting close to twice as big as any other top-flight domestic league in the world. What happens is they play their... You know, they play their first phase and then the top three teams all move on to the championship round. So effectively, you get a mini Premier League of 12 teams. Then all the other teams go to the relegation round. Well, they will divide geographically north and south. So the remaining 24 teams will be two 12-team leagues and four from each of those will get relegated. They're just halfway through the first stage, which is a double round robin here. And your matchup that we're going to look at is number one, Ayema versus number nine, Avranco Omnisport. They play in Group D. Kind of fun. Group B and Group C also had Rat of the Week candidates, but this was the only one I offered up in the voting because there was the biggest gap in points at the table between these first and last place teams. It's Benin. Can't find out a lot about it at a glance where I usually go, but here's what I've got. Ahema. They play out of the capital city of Porto Novo. Last year, they finished in fourth place. 
this year. They have the number one offense going by almost twice as much as the second best team in that category in their group. They've also got the second best defense. They only allow in uh, two goals over three matches on average. That's good overall for having the best goal differential by over a factor of two in their group. Team's current form, they've won two straight matches since their only loss at number seven, Sobe Map, where they lost 2-0. And now, Avranco Omnisport. They're also in the southeast corner. A city, the city of Avranco is about 150,000. I'm not sure if it's a suburb of the capital or if it's considered a district, but it's definitely right in that same part of the country. Last year, they finished in fourth place in the Southern Relegation Division. Uh, they have the second worst record going in all the divisions this year, and they are one of two winless teams in Group D this year. Now, in their defense, we don't like to accept excuses. This is, you know, for last place teams. But they do have, uh, depending on which teams you're looking at and comparing, one to two matches in hand against everyone else in the division. That said, the statistics back up where they are. It's understandable that they might be not doing so well at offense since they've had fewer matches, but they've only scored three in the seventh they've played. This should give them an advantage at a glance looking at defense, but they are tied for the worst in that category and have tied for the worst goal differential as well. Their form, no real surprise here. They've lost three straight, but kind of quirky. They had earned three draws, which is all their points, in the three matches prior to that. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. For our second bonus match, we serenade and we ask what other podcast has the heart to shine a spotlight on two teams somewhere in the world in the top flight, perfectly in the middle, equidistant from the glory that would be an international competition berth or the danger of finishing in last or at least low enough to possibly face relegation. Yes, the most meaningless match in the world, the one you have voted on, comes to us from India, the Super League, where together with Code Number One League, that's the second time we've had this podcast, the I-League, together they constitute the 17th ranked leagues in the AFC. So almost in the top third, but not quite. As such, they get one Champions League group stage berth, and then they will get to send their runner-up to the AFC Cup. That team will have to start just a little bit further back in the third qualifying round. And they're almost halfway into their double round robin season in this league. The matchup we're going to look at is no longer quite two teams that are perfectly in the middle. As sometimes happens, these teams will play games between the times I skate time I scout them and the time that I actually uh, you know get to record and get you to hear this. So now it is number five, ATK Moen Bagan FC versus number eight, FC Goa. I think Moen Bagan went up a couple of spots. In any case, they have had the slight advantage of the recent series with a 5-8-3 record. They currently trail number two, Hyderabad, by one, and that represents uh, that team in the AFC Cup uh, berth slot, if you will, second place. Goa, meanwhile, lead last place number 11, East Bengal, by four. But in fairness, there is no relegation from this particular league. We'll talk about Moen Bagan first. They're known as the Mariners. The club officially lists at over 130 years old. But here's where things are a little confusing, and I'll ask that you give me a little leeway. But what I think I understand is that just within the last year or two, Two clubs from this area merged to become one, and they were ATK Moenbegin and Moenbegin FC. And uh, while they've 
just left in the ATK and the FC is Moen Bagan FC's license and therefore official history uh, for record keeping purposes that they're hanging on to. That's the way I understand it anyway. Uh, they play out of Kolkata in West Bengal and they are the 45th ranked club right now in the AFC. Uh, last year, they finished in second place in what they call the premieres, what we would call the regular season, and then number B in the championship, or what we would call the playoffs. And it is uh, the premieres standings, not the playoffs, that determine what teams get the international berths, by the way. This team, eh, a little bit of international history. 2016, they made the AFC Cup round of 16, and that was after actually having to drop down from the Champions League. That's their best ever international finish. This year, domestically, uh, they've got the second-best offense going uh, with over two-plus goals per game. But the problem is defense. They can't stop just about anybody. They're tied for ninth in that regard, also giving up over two goals per game. Uh, key players to look for. Tied for uh, second-best in league scoring for them is Frenchman Hugo Bomo. He's an attacking midfielder. And uh, unlike a lot of attacking midfielders I've watched who, who tend to try to play forward almost like second strikers, he's really interesting. He likes to get the ball deep in the midfield position. Uh, in the uh, mid in midfield position, and then he's got excellent pace. He can make long, deep, <clears throat> uninterrupted runs to get the balls into scoring position. And then tied for second best in assists in the league is Roy Krishna from Fiji. He's a striker, veteran, 34 years old. Biggest chunk of his career was also in Oceania. He played for Wellington Phoenix. Well, that's in New Zealand, which is Oceania, but Wellington Phoenix actually plays on Australia's club, which is now in Asia, as we know. Neither here nor there, really. But for the most meaningless match in the world, we also like to look for the most average or meaningless player. And that belongs by rating to their right back, Pritam Koktal. He is a good tackler, solid passing accuracy, but he doesn't tend to do anything to get attacks going. Very few key passes for him. So if he wants to be something other than average, he might have to be a little bit more offensive-minded or at least starting some attacks. As far as the key team's current form, they are 1-2-1 and one in their last four with a 7-6 and six goal differential. Meanwhile, FC Goa, the Gowers, which are basically Indian bison. They kind of look like super skinny water buffalo. I think they should change their mascot to that. I'd probably got buy a kit if they're for sale somewhere. This club was just founded seven years ago, and they play in the economic capital of the state of Goa, for which the name, and that town is called uh, Margao, I believe. And uh, Goa, the state, is in the east-southeast portion of the country. City's not that big. Metro area, in fact, is only about 100,000. Uh, last year, they finished in fourth place in the premieres and then made the uh, semifinal in the championship, to use their terminology there. 2019-20 uh, uh, league premieres, they were number one. They got to go to the Champions League, and they made the group stage. This year... Offense is the issue. They're only ninth best in that regard. Even the defense isn't that much better. They're tied for number six. That's only good for uh, for a tie for number eight in overall goal differential. I think this team is more likely to slide than uh, maintain their meaningless position and tread water for it. Uh, key players to look for, top 10 in assists, Jorge Ortiz, their Spanish forward. He spent his entire career uh, with Spanish clubs, but none of them were in Division One. I. I think uh, maybe only Alan Cornyn, if I'm saying it right, is the only one from even the second level. But he came over to India uh, just over a year ago. This is his second year playing in this particular league. The most average player, the most meaningless player is Muhammad Ali. He's a center back, 34 years old. Got to like the name. Float like a butterfly, 
Sting like a bee, but we need you to try more tackle attempts. He's only tried two, and as a center back, that just means you're not playing very physically. As far as the team's current form, they are 2-2-0 two, two and oh in their last four, at, or their la- and they uh, got draws in the last two, and over that four-match streak, they had eight and six goal differential. And so now at last, dear New Bites, if I may still refer to you as such, we have come to the end of our podcast road. The third bonus match, the unlucky number 13th match of the podcast, and as is so appropriate for the number 13, uh, we do not end by celebrating good or even mediocre teams like we've been doing, but rather with two teams that are worthy of naught but scorn that occupied the last two places in some league's table. Ugh, they're nasty. This is the match of... Oh, and the Herculean scorn is appropriate. The one you have voted for is a Saturday match. Out of the United Arab Emirates Pro League, the top flight there is ranked number eight in the AFC. No thanks to these two sad sack bottom feeders, I'll tell you that. Right, person noob? Yeah. Yeah, trash talk. We're good at it. Uh, They get three Champions League berths. Number eight is high enough that none of their teams have to go to the uh, AFC Cup. Two teams are going to get relegated, and that's more the speed of these two losers. And the ones I refer to are number 13, All Oruba, versus number 14, Emirates Club. Oruba lead uh, Emirates Club by six in the table right now, and uh, in turn, they trail All Dafra by one. So All Oruba can at least hold out a modicum of hope for being able to climb out of the relegation zone. Emirates Club, you're going down. Yeah. You're going down hard. Hard as a rock. Hard as a, yes, person. (laughs) Guitar riff and hard as a rock. Your trash talk is unique, and I love it, person noob. First, let's talk about uh, all Oruba. And by the way, both of these teams are winless, so we're going to be as mean and cruel as we want to be. Their nickname is the Green Duo. Now, how many is in a duo, person noob? Dos. Dos, two. That's right. How many people typically play on a side on a soccer team? Uh, nine. Eleven. Eleven is correct. Is eleven more than two? Hmm, yeah. That's a dumb nickname, isn't it? They should be the duties. The green <laughs> duties. The green duties. I don't know about that. Why not? Now, the only thing I can think of to explain this nickname is that they're from a pair of cities or villages, probably. They're very close to one another, Merba and Kadifa. Uh, they're in the Fujaira Emirate, which is in the far northeast of the country. Uh, interesting side note, just geographically, I'd like to look for stuff like this. It's the only of the seven, one of the seven emirates that has coastline along the Gulf of Oman, but has no coastline with the Persian Gulf whatsoever. So it's kind of in a quirky little corner. Uh, It's the second smallest of the Emirates. It only has about 150,000 people. And it actually was, if you go back and look at some of their uh, uh, censuses, that's the word, uh, 15 years ago, they had 225,000 people. So they've gone down 75,000 people, or what would now be half again the population. This team is so terrible that a third of the people just left. Why couldn't they stay, person noob? Because they're too disappointing. They are too disappointed. And meaningless. And meaningless. No, meaningless was the previous match. This is the match of disappointed or disappointing as we've nearly decided to start calling it. Uh, let's see here. The only other thing I had about this city was uh, 
It's a city that really largely lives on handouts, economically, uh, large subsidies, grants, not a lot of private businesses. Everything's kind of run by the government. They're 0, 4, and 6 on the year. Uh, they're only up here because they won Division One last year, and Division One is their second tier league, so they got promoted. The offense has been amongst the very worst in the league. The defense is the very worst, giving up almost two and a half goals per match. They may not win a single match playing that way. And rather than look for good players, we have looked for bad players. The worst player on their team of the regular starters is Ahmed Al-Hosani. As is usually the case with bad teams, it's the goalkeeper that's the problem. Now, I can't tell if he's on loan from uh, number 11 in the standings, Banias, or if he came over there completely. I know that there was a, a transfer in the works at some point, but uh, Banias said, as bad as we are, we need to get rid of this guy. Why do you think they needed to get rid of this Al-Hosani guy? Why is he so bad? Maybe he's just like not – maybe he's like a beginner at soccer. It could be. He's playing like a noob. And you know what? We get to, we're the only noobs on this podcast. That's yeah. what I say. Get out of here. Boo. Kitty number one. Kitty noob number dos. Soccer noob and person noob. The only noobs. I didn't realize we had given noob names to our cats. <laughs> anyway, uh, as far as the team's current form, they have lost three in a row with a one in seven goal differential. Meanwhile, Emirates Club. Oh, are they putrid? They are the Falcons. Although I have to admit um, – They've got the same colors, by the way, green and white. It's interesting. It's like the same shade of like a real light minty green. But I have to admit that their falcony crest is cool. Take a look at this person, noob. Wow. You've got to admit, a soccer – I mean, I hate to make any excuses, but a soccer, a soccer crest go, that's pretty cool. You know, you've kind of got the etching, if you will, the outline of the falcon. And then the end it goes into something fiery at the bottom with the green in the background. That's kind of – uh-oh, I'm starting to like this team. Is that allowed? No, this is the match of disappointed. Boo. You make uh, you make the baby Jesus cry. That's something you said once, right? Yes. What do you want to say about him? Think about that for a second. Okay. While you think about that, we'll move on. Uh, let's see here. Uh, they play out of the capital city of and an emirate of the same name, Ras al-Khaimah. Uh, it's the sixth biggest city in the country at about 115,000. It's also way up in the Northeast. Uh, interesting side note, history majors will know this, especially regarding this region. It is It has been continuously inhabited for over 7,000 years. There's very few places anywhere in the country or even the world that can make that claim. Uh, the economy is kind of interesting. The uh, ceramics, pharmaceuticals, international investment. It seems like it would be a lot better than all Aruba, to be perfectly honest. I'm still starting to like this team person, Uba. I'm becoming a bad person <gasps> or maybe a good person. And I need to be a bad person. Have you thought about any, have you thought of anything bad to say about this team yet? Too much. Too much. Can you share one thing? You are on this podcast on the match. It is the point. You must be supreme bad. <laughs> supreme bad. That's right. Last year, they finished second place in that second division league, division one. So both of our teams in the match of disappointed were promoted just last year. But we accept no excuses, do we, person noob? No. No. Uh, they have actually won that league three different times this uh, in the 2000s. So they're very much a yo-yo team. And they've spent more time in division one than division two. So they ought to be better than this by now. Uh, they did win the FA Cup in 2009, 2010, but that has 
becoming a fading memory. Uh, let's see. They've got the worst offense of the league. They've only scored seven times in 10 matches. And their defense is, uh, is barely any better than uh, Arubos, to be perfectly honest. I'm not even sure they're going to bother to play any goalkeepers. The worst player on this team, interestingly, not their goalkeeper, but is a defender. Their center back, Firas Sala Alkasibi. Alka might be playing like he's an alcoholic or something, although this is an Arabic country, so probably not. He started his senior career at number one, Al Ain, and boy, would he like to get back or anywhere close. Um, they let him go as a free agent. He's so bad, they didn't even want anybody for him. Uh, his passing, mm, not very good. Tackling, he's actually pretty physical, but he always waits for the game to come to him. He makes very few interceptions for a guy that plays his position. So that's why he's so stinky on his rating, I think. As far as the team's current form, they have lost two straight. Uh, the only draw that they got before that was to number eight, all Itihad Kalba. And as always is the tradition with this podcast, rather than wishing them good luck, with it, which they could desperately use, quite frankly, we will continue to ostracize them for the most part, other than to send them off in our traditional fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Hey, boo. boo. And believe it or not, yes, that's really how we end the episode. So this is your first time listening. In any case, I'd like to thank the whole darn noob team for helping uh, put this together and all your creative and inspired efforts. And I'd love to thank you, the listener. Thanks so much. We've really endeavored to make something <laughs> exceedingly unique here. We will hope that you pass it on to your footy-minded friends. Until next time, have a fabulous footy week. Take care.